This is episode number 508 of the Health Fitness Podcast by Innerfight, brought to you in association with Smith Street Paleo. If you're not on a meal plan and you live in the UAE, you need to hop over to smithstreetpaleo.com right now. Welcome back to another edition of the show, folks. Now, for those of you that listen to the show often and listen to show number 484, I spoke to Tom Otten and Rob Jones just after they came back from UTMBO Man. There was one person missing from that show, which was a gentleman by the name of Sean Hurley, who is actually on today's show. Sean and I first met almost 20 years ago when we were playing rugby, and 18 months ago, he called me up and said he wanted to get into ultra running. So I thought... It warranted him having his own show to not only talk about UTMBO Man and the great time he had there, but also how he moved into ultra running. It was super awesome to sit down with Sean, and I really hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as I did. Sean Hurley joins me. Seano, how are you, buddy? Mate, good, good, thanks. Yeah. Mate, uh, finally got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nail me down. Yeah, mate. We won't jump straight into UTMB because I think your story is a lot more interesting than Otten's and, uh, and Rob Jones's. Plus, they've been on the show before. Mate, talk to us a little bit. We, we used to play rugby together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Probably the For first time 15 years ago, mate. Yeah, probably something like that, I think. Jeez, you've got a better memory than I do. Yeah. Uh, what do we? I think we met in about 2001, I yeah. think, when you were here still. We were, we were yeah. playing against each other. You were at the Exiles, That's and right. I was at the Dragons. I think, And then we actually, the first time we played together was 2004, maybe? Yeah, when we played for the Arabian Gulf. That's yeah, right. That's right, sevens. So, mate, talk to us a little bit about your sporting background. Like, you obviously, for those of you that can't identify Sean's accent, he's from Australia. <laughs> what was sport for you growing up, mate? So, yeah, I mean, sport's been a huge part of the life, uh, you know, growing up, I actually grew up in uh, Asia, I was, my brother and I, I've got a twin brother, we were born in the Philippines, but uh, we were always part of the, you know, my old man sort of grew up around rugby, he was a rugby referee, and we sort of grew up around that, um, and doing various different sports, like everything, anything you can kind of get your hands on, everything from from rugby to cricket to um, even things as far as surf life saving, um, uh, gymnastics, you name it. Like lit- literally everything you can do as a kid, we sort of almost took part in. I have to pick it up right now. Who won the most? You've got a twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> Who used to win the I, most? I mean, that's easy. Like, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Tell everyone who's the oldest. Well, you know, he is. He's 15 minutes older. Yeah. But we can get into... No, we, we won't get into that. He's older, but, yeah. uh, you know, like, we, we always kind of... We always had our own niche, except that we both of us came back to rugby. So we were right. both, you know, huge... I, I played rugby for, I think it was 35 and a half years of my life. Wow. Um, and, you, you know, when you play a sport that long, you sort of... it's part of your DNA it's yeah. who you are we were I think four years old when we first started running around with a ball maybe five oh. years old something like that yeah and so you know that was a huge part of my life um what was it did, what would to play a sport for that long mate you've got to actually enjoy it because yeah. I know you weren't very good so like <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to that but no mate what what was it about rugby that you really enjoyed yeah I, I mean you know rugby is an amazing sport it it you know, so there's things about team environment. There's things about um, competitiveness. There's there's so much more to it than what I think maybe some people think. And yeah. I think 
one huge aspect of it. So there's a social side to it. There's a, uh, you know, and then there's a competitive side to it. Yeah. F- for me, it was very much always about, I mean, our family was always involved in it. We all loved watching it. We all loved playing it. Um, but it was also that, oh, maybe I think my brother and I were pretty good at it. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, you always enjoy something that you're pretty good at. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of in Australia when we were growing up, you know, you play rugby in the winter, let's say, and then during the summer is something else, and that's either cricket or surf life saving, growing up on the beach or, yeah. or something. And so, and both of them sort of complemented each other. Right. With rugby, you know, you could you could take through your fitness from a, a summer season, from a surf life saving sort of season, the yeah. nippers and juniors, and you could take that through into the rugby season. So. It- it's almost like your off seasons, pre season, kind of, yeah, for, for that, cause yeah, because you're so active. Yeah, I can't really say that about cricket in the UK. I think that's why I ditched it when I was pretty much. I, mean, I was the same. We yeah. Got, yeah, got forced to play cricket. I think till I was about 13, and then we got to choose, and I was like, why would I? Why would I not want to sprint? Like I used to run the 1500 meters, which mm. would take you know four or five minutes at that age. And a cricket game could take what? They'd start like sometimes 11 in the morning and still be going at 7 in the evening. And I, I think I was horrible with cricket as well. Yeah. I, I was probably yeah. wasn't that good. I, I think remember when I was about 13 years old, I had, and, and this is when you're a you know, young fellow, you had to, you know, a game would only go half a day. But yeah. I think when you got to like 30 runs, you had to retire. Right. Because you had to give other people. And so I think I got to 30 runs once and I thought, yeah, this is amazing. I love this sport. And I, I think after that, I probably only got one or two one. runs as a batter. And so it was like, this sucks. I'm leaving. In Interesting sport, man. I obviously love watching it, and and obviously England and Australia have battles as do all, and and it's great to watch. But the thought of um, someone just bowling a incredibly for those of you who don't really know what cricket is or haven't experienced it, but it's like it's like it's not a steel ball because it's a leather ball, but it's incredibly hard. And the bowler, for the most part, especially the obviously the speed bowlers, are just trying to bowl this thing at you as hard as they can. And there's no rules except it's not supposed to hit the head. And you've got literally two inch bit of plywood to smack it back at them. Exactly. And, and you know, when we were younger, so my brother and I, as, as we, when we were expats in the Philippines, and I don't know if anyone knows that it was a very um, uh, you know, American sort of a town yeah, right. growing up as, as Yanks. Well, growing up as, as uh, 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 young fellas, and we sort of started playing baseball. Right. So when we moved back to Australia for schooling, we thought, oh, okay, this is kind of a natural thing, moving into cricket and, yeah. and whatever else. Very different game. So different. Yeah. In baseball, though, they, they, you're supposed to pitch it over the, yeah, yeah. between... Between, but, like, your shoulders or your chest and, yeah. and maybe your pelvis. It's like an area. And you sort of stand back yeah. from the plate and yeah. they they have to bowl it over the plate. Yeah, and right. I'm not saying baseball is easy by it, but cricket, yeah. So cricket was out the window, yeah. mate. You're in, you're yeah, and so I, I think when, you, when you're growing up, you sort of, as young guys, you're going through, uh, you know, different sports of progression, hand-eye coordination, you're, you're learning, um, being active. And so all these different sort of sports sort of, develop a um you know competitiveness in you yeah right so whether you play whatever sport it may be and and i think that's what happened with my brother and and also maybe we were twins we were always competitive with each other just to be better with each other yeah and so that's kind of what's always driven us in our life did you think it always drove you mate can you remember any times where you were like where you thought it was negative no not at all i mean like i say it it was always driving us together for a, a, a competitiveness between each other, but like for a, 
in a positive way. Yeah. And yeah. and it's not like we wanted to beat each other. We, yeah. we kind of did, but we were always because you're playing team sports, you're on the same team. Yeah, right. Or you know, if it was individual at swimming, you would you know like I was a better swimmer, but um, <laughs> you, sorry, you would, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you would always <laughs> want to be my clients. Yeah. You got be good to him. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd always want to be competitive, and yeah. so and I think and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. To, to sort of grow up with. And that's why, you know, like I say, sport was a huge part of our life. Yeah, right. Um, and obviously, I was always driven because you of my You must have had times, though, mate, where you fell out over sport and didn't speak to each other no, or got in all. trouble with your mom. Not, or, not at nothing, all. Really? No, not, not at all. I, I, I don't remember wow. that, at least. You know, we were... Yeah, so, like, having a twin is an amazing thing. So, yeah. it's, it's like... He's your mirror, but he's also your best mate. Or, right, or, or, right. And, and you push each other, you egg each other on. Yeah. I mean, you always have tiffs as young yeah, fellas yeah, or yeah. whatever, but nothing no like that. No big bust ups. No, no, nothing like mate, that. Mate, talk to us about the impact. Like, obviously, you said there, like, your dad was really into sport. He was a ref. How do you think that, like, impacted you? And is it is it an environment thing? Like, was it just... Do you feel that you were forced or what's was was your thoughts on the sort of parenting side of it? Yeah, there was, I, I definitely don't think it was forced. It was right. like, it was, you know, obviously it, it's the surroundings you're in. Yeah. Um, and my parents have always sort of been very um, uh, supportive. So whatever we do, doesn't matter what we've done. Yeah. It's always been the, the support that's there. And so like, you know, I, I remember mum and she she would always sort of have to drive us down to Brisbane or to different games in Noosa or always having to go out of the way to take us to a sporting uh, um, event or whatever it may be. So yeah. super supportive, but not at all pushy, not at all uh, right. like you have to do this, you have to train, you have to, not at all. And it's yeah. completely our own choice. Wow. That's so, cool. um, but when, even though it's your own choice, they created this framework. For you to be able to do, yeah, and what, and it's support. So like, yeah. we could do whatever we wanted to, but it was just the support was there to say, okay, you want to do that? Great. This, yeah. this, we'll take you here. We'll take you there. We'll, we'll get you this. Whatever it may be, you know, yeah. it wasn't endless, but it yeah. was, you know, certainly very supportive. Did you feel that you had to pay that back in any way, mate? I mean, yeah, I, I think later in life, you, not not it's probably not the right way to say is pay back, but yeah. later in life you start to understand and respect what your parents went through yeah, right. to give you the op- opportunities and yeah. to give you what they gave you. And so very much so for my parents, I mean, that I, they worked extremely hard to, to put us through um, schooling and my sister as well. And so you, you, you start to realize and understand that, I think, when you're a little bit older. Yeah. And, and I, it just, I just love my parents more for it. Yeah, it's you know? quite like humbling, it's, right? It's very humbling. Especially if you think about that, like, you said quite a few things there, like, you know, that we had the equipment and we had, like, you look at what some of the fees may be right now for kids to go out and, and, yeah. and do sport. I mean, even, I mean, mate, when, I remember when I, I worked at Adidas and we were selling football boots and, you know, it could be about 1,200 dirhams for a pair of boots. I think Nike were the first ones that brought out the Mercurial just over we didn't have that, I don't think, back in our day. I think if you had a pair of football boots that like over $100, you know, you were, it was unheard of. But there was still a big investment from our parents to, you know, we need the equipment, we need to be at matches, we need to, you know, we need to pay for the coaching. And I think that's something that when you're that young, you maybe take for granted a little bit. Yeah, completely. And, and it wasn't that we, we ever got the best kid or, or whatever it was, but it was always if we needed it, 
yeah. we would get it and it would be like and, and I and I know now how hard they worked yeah, to give that to, to make you. sure it was there. You know, and that and that's the amazing part of well, of my childhood, yeah. that support for kind of a sporting outlook. And and even now in a um, a, um, a professional outlook or whatever I, I, I do now, my yeah. parents are always there to support. And so, I, I mean, I, I'm super, cool. super grateful for yeah. that. Mate, what, what do you think? Let's, let's reflect a little bit about what we're seeing on those sort of lines these days with kids in sport. Do you see it's different? Do you see an environment? Obviously, now we've got, we've got a massive obesity issue. We've got a lot of fat parents kicking around. Or, or parents that are not necessarily very sporty, or if you know you're, you're still sporting, we're looking forward to getting into what what you're doing. But these parents are leading a sedentary life, and we're kind of seeing this passed down onto the kids. What's your thoughts on on that situation? Yeah, wow, um, what a question. Um, I mean, <laughs> no show notes yeah, for this guy. Yeah, straight yeah. in. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's a it's a tough thing. I mean, I I mean, I, I know a lot of guys and and people with par- uh, with kids who are parents, and and but they're very young at the moment, and it's. You're, you're completely right. I know, as an Australian point of view, we have a big issue with obesity yeah. and and just diet and health. And, and even though we are uh, in in inverted commas a sporting country, yeah, it, it's definitely something which is becoming bigger and bigger of an issue in Australia. Right. Um, if I look at obviously Dubai and the Middle East, you know, you've always got. Um, I, I think it depends on schools that you go here. Lifestyles are very different. Um, you know that the pressure on parents, I think, is certainly there. But but I think again, it depends on your culture as a society, or it's your, or or where you've grown up. Yeah. Whether you're um, part of that, you know, movement, or like like I mean, you know, you say sedentary lifestyle, yeah. or, or anything like that. I think it very much depends on how you've grown up. Yeah. Um, and I, I like I say, I come back to Australia, and, and my parents are root, my roots there, but. It is an active, sporty lifestyle. Yeah, despite yeah. other challenges that go on. Yeah, so, it's tricky. It's definitely a tricky one. It's a tricky one, and and if you look at, like I say, if you look at Dubai, what, the sort of initiatives that was trying to happen here and and change, um, not not just the local population, the Emiratis, but yeah. just everyone here. Yeah, trying to change the 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 outlook on health and yeah. movement and and the benefits behind it i yeah. think you know fair play to the government because yeah they're doing a good job they're, they're doing a good job compared to maybe other governments in the world yeah. who you know so they're i think it's different here though like when you when you live under what we live under which is dictatorship it's like you know yeah we i i don't think dubai is 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 fattest by by any by any means but they're sort of able to pull stuff off and to make things happen whereas in other countries it probably has to go through big committees votes no we can't do that in that place because it's not inclusive for this i mean dubai is incredibly inclusive you know for 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 you know for people with disabilities and for all that stuff but i i think because it's a country that's got one single leader they're able to activate stuff just so much faster i think that helps yeah completely i completely agree and it's it's you know it's also it's interesting because you have so many different nationalities and cultures here yeah and trying to get that aligned. And so, you know, if someone picks up the, the torch, who the leader is, for example, yeah. um, uh, um, Sheikh Majid, then yeah. people follow. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's like, that's kind of almost all you need in, in a town like this. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is it's very the, easy to get that catalyst. Yeah. Interesting. Mate, let's go back a little bit to, to your rugby days because I, I definitely want to get onto, onto your running. 
And I'll open this with the fact that when we played rugby together, running was probably the thing that you hated the most. Mate, I, I probably think I still hate it. Um, <laughs> no, like, I mean, when you, when you play rugby, it's very rare that you run any decent distance. Maybe a little bit in preseason, but you might go for a 5K run yeah. or a 3K run. Or, or, I mean, of course, you run a lot, but it's on a rugby pitch at training during the week. Yeah. Or, and then if you're not doing that you maybe you're in the gym getting a bit of strength work in yeah so it's not a huge part of um um the, the you know the activity or the the training for rugby and yeah. so you know growing up i never did much running at all i was so no school cross country not i mean you you would participate and have <laughs> those days but yeah. but it wasn't something that i actually went out and did and thought yeah i love this this yeah. is great <laughs> not at all no chance huh no so mate in, I think it was in September of 2017, you called me about an event. Tell us what you said. I want you to tell us because I think it's more interesting. 2018. Oh, it, no, was it was 2017. Right. Yeah, Sorry. it was about September, wasn't it, That's of 2017. Right. So I, I came back from vacation in August. I had previously retired from rugby, all forms of the game, in... Uh, December of 2016. Right. So, you know, having played rugby for uh, 35 odd years and yeah. you're, you're around a, a team environment, you're around um, um, that sort of day in, day out. So it's weekly, it's, um, you know, it, it's a social environment as well as a competitive environment. Yeah. And when you step outside of that, when you retire from that game, you can you can still be involved, of course, and, and put everything in behind the club or, or wh- however you want to be involved. Yeah. But it's not the same. When you it's hang different. the boots up, yeah. you're, you're sort of on the outside, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, even though you may be friends with everyone. So, yeah. And, and that's very hard to replace, that sort of feeling or that, that social group. And, you know, for, I don't know, six months or so, I was kind of lost. I was like, you don't really have a sporting goal. You don't really have... Wait, why am I training? I, I, I'm not training for rugby anymore. But yeah, I, am I am I enjoying this? What, what I was kind of on the search for something. And were you mate, in in that period? Did did you feel that you were developing bad habits? Were you eating? Because yeah. I think I think this is really cool for for a number of people that have been involved or even just had an environment removed. So if they've just moved country and they don't have their team back home. What do they do? Listen to the next 20 minutes of the show. If, you know, there's, there's a lot of that. So did you start to develop bad habits is the question there. I mean, for sure. Yeah. And, and that's in hindsight, you look back at that. And so, you know, you would, the sort of, I, I, I thought I was always quite healthy, but you would, you know, you'd go out and have weekends, big weekends, or yeah. you would sometimes, you know, you could get away with not cooking at home and you would eat out all the time. And so you, it's, it's never one thing that you think is the bad habit, but it yeah. kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. And then you turn around and you look in the mirror and you're trying to convince yourself that, oh, no, no, I'm still in good shape and I'm, I'm still quite healthy and I'm fit and strong, but, yeah. but actually you're not. And, or, or at least in my case, it was the, the, the truth. And, and I kind of went away on uh, vacation summer and actually ended up going away with Tom Otten. And yeah. We, we, we went, right. uh, we were in summer in Europe and got back from that and just kind of, I don't know what it was, but it was just a decision. It was like, I've got to change something. Right. And, and something has to change. And, and that had been going through my mind for a, for a month or two. And then Tom and I got back and we had a meal together and, and had a discussion and it was like, well, this is coming up. 
uh, which is Marathon de Sable in Peru. And, and I remember when you guys sort of ran in Morocco yeah. a few years earlier. Yeah, I'd always fifteen. Yeah, and, and I always kind of had it stuck in my mind that sounded like the best adventure. <laughs> and like, and I know everything, well, in hindsight again, but it's still to me, it was an adventure. And I was like, oh, right. that would be really cool to do. Yeah. And we had a meal and we kind of just went, well, this is on at the end of December. And it was so just this like, is like literally end of August, beginning this of was September. Start of September. It was maybe, maybe the first or second of September, whatever the weekend was there. Yeah. And, and it was like, Let's do it. And we decided. And so I woke up the next morning. We still kind of, he messaged me. Tom messaged me and said, right, are you still in for this? <laughs> and I'm like, done, we're in. Let's do it. And then right. I, I think it was that day, went on, online and signed up and paid the money. 250 kilometers. It was a brand new race, actually. Marathon Disciple Brand has previously done 32 races across the Sahara. Obviously, trying to grow the business, they stepped out and went to Peru. Mm. New, new desert, new challenge. What was it about that, mate? You said you said there like it was just a huge challenge. What what was it that sort of struck? You know, what what was it that lit a fire for you in that big challenge? It was a sense of a goal. Yeah, you know, so like you kind of even though it wasn't that far away. I mean, it was three <laughs> yeah, months. It was. Problem. I mean, in my mind, it was like, oh, I've got plenty of time to train for this. Yeah, but yeah. it was a goal that was set in a, in a time where I knew, okay, you know what. I can probably do this. We can, there's probably yeah. a, a time frame, but it was also more than that. It was also an adventure. Yeah. And so it was kind of something, I don't know why, but it was something that I was looking for. I yeah, was it probably looking filled for the, 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 the void, yeah. uh, so to speak. I mean, you stopped playing in December. Yeah. We're now in August. Like, okay, a couple of bad habits. You hadn't got massively out of shape, but yeah. there was a little bit of emptiness, yeah, right? Completely. And it, it actually coincided also with my 40th birthday. And so I was like... Perfect midlife crisis. Yeah. And so, you know, it was cheaper than buying a Porsche. You know, let's go for a run in the desert. So yeah. that was my midlife crisis. Mate, when you, when you sort of signed up for it, did you, did you have... What did you think it was going to be? Very interesting. Um, I'd signed up for it. I remember calling you and saying, hey, listen, I, I think we're going to need some help with this. And you're like, great, no problems. Let's go for a run. It was early September, maybe, I don't know, the 3rd or 4th of September. Yeah. And it was yourself and Tom. Do you remember that? We went for a run along the beach, run beach right track. Got the run in front of me, yeah. Um, and probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it was, I don't know. We went super early in the morning, but it was still 30 degrees or 35 yeah. degrees. It started and at 5.56. There you go. Yeah. And, and, you know... I haven't, obviously, not being a runner, I hadn't run, but I was just not fit. Yeah. And so we were running at a conversational pace. If if I think about it now, it was probably around about six minutes, 30 a kilometer, maybe seven minutes a kilometer. I, I don't know. Yeah. But my no, heart... Very, very yeah. good. Very, very close stats here, Hills. It was 5.50 average. So it was a bit okay. quicker. All right, a bit quicker. Yeah. But, but it started quite... Relaxed. Relaxed, yeah. And yeah. I remember my heart rate would have been around about 180... 190 even yeah. I, I was in bits yeah i was in bits and thinking okay what have i got myself into here this this i'm gonna have to work hard <laughs> mate the stats on that run it started at 556 on the 7th september here in dubai just by the surf house up there and it basically you ran 11k you ran 11k in one hour 16 minutes so in the end 
Sorry, in the end, you average 650 a K with an average heart rate of 179 beats a minute. Bearing in mind, folks, Sean was turning 40 in uh, three months from here, almost to the date. Yeah. And a max heart rate of 199. There you go. <laughs> I, I, and, you know, I was like, okay, this running thing, I don't know if it's for me. It was That was the first tough. time you went over 10K, right? First time in my life I probably yeah. ever went over 10, probably even over 5. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I just never ran that sort of distance. You'd, I'd have to do something at the... Actually, the day before, you'd done a little bit on a treadmill, mate. Maybe, yeah. 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 You'd, done, uh, you'd done 5K on a treadmill. Yeah, we, we started on the third or fourth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So what's going through your mind, mate? You literally nearly die. You've got two other idiots who clearly know how to run a bit. Yeah. And you're sat here looking at your brand new Garmin, which you've just paid 2,500 yeah. dirhams for. You <laughs> sign up for a race, which you've paid about 3,000 pounds yeah. for. And it, your Garmin says... 11K in 1 hour 16, average 179, max 199. Well, What's in your mind? Mate, I, I knew it was going to be tough. And I, but you know what? There wasn't one bit of me that didn't think I could do it. But it was just like, okay, well, I've got to start somewhere. <laughs> Try to figure out how we do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the thing. It was like, okay, now let's just be smart about this and try and get it done. And, and it, but it was, I was in. Like I was in, in, in. Yeah, it didn't. I, I knew it was going to be. I knew it was tough, and I knew it was going to hurt, and I have to train and work hard. Not not worried about hard work at all. Yeah, it was just that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, it's. I, I think. I think it's probably an experience that is one of the best ways that you could have started. Because yeah, it's brutal, but your attitude after that is like, yeah, I know it's going to be hard, but that's kind of why I signed up for it. Yeah. You know, it's not, I didn't sign up for it to be easy. I didn't quite realize it'd be this hard on the, on the first day. But, you know, after that, it kind of gets more interesting. Mate, we won't go too much detail into the training for it because I definitely want to get onto UTMBO, man. But just how was the race? I mean, you did three months from not even a 10K and a major knee surgery, which we've kind of skipped over like 18 months before or yeah. less than 18 yeah, months right, before. Yeah. And, you're there, Peru, 250K. Give us a, a, a nice little spiel on it. So um, I actually I actually wrote a diary each night of of, um, of that Marathon de Sablo. I, I sort of committed to like every time. When I got in the tent and we sort of, you know, were sleeping each night, I wrote a brief summary of it. And, and I read over it recently, actually. And it, it's interesting. Like it... it the race lived up to everything I wanted it to do, which yeah. was be an adventure. Yeah. And so there's different aspects about it. So there's there's the running aspect. There's the, you know, Marathon de Sable. I haven't done the Morocco one, but I assume it's similar. Yeah. It's almost everything that's not running. Yeah. That is the key to that event. Yeah, right. And, and slowly... You know, since then I've done a few other races, and it, it's each race is very different. Yeah. And so ultra running, you can't just throw into a, a book and or into a bag and say, "Yeah, this is ultra running." Yeah. Because it's very, very so different. So different, right? Yeah. And so that experience down in Peru was amazing. You know, we uh, went down. There was three of us actually. Myself and Tom had trained a lot together, and and there was another guy from Dubai. Um, sort of we got to know and we did a few training runs with him uh, and of course with your help we sort of were out in the sand and in the in the desert you know slowly we put together a training program and it got longer and longer and more in the desert and yeah. a couple of overnights and, and a few things like that and so I, I remember being so uh, um, 
just I, I remember being so scared of it. It would wake me up sometimes at night that I would really? try and like. I, I think that's a good thing. Like you want to put yourself out there and you want to put yourself in completely uncomfortable places in your life, and, and yeah. that's what I did with this. And I, I did so much research. I got super geeky about things. I, I wanted to learn about nutrition. I wanted to learn about recovery because I, I knew I only had a, a short period of time. And so yeah. I looked at everything I could to help me recover faster, to help me train for my nutrition through everything from meditation to to nutrition, you name it. I, I started listening to it. I started reading it. I remember you started coming yeah. up with ultra running podcasts that yeah. I never even heard of. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, man, I've got this one. I'm like, where do you even get that from? Yeah, and, and so I got I got super geeky about it and, and kind of, you know, there were some things where I took which was super, you know, you could you could – you could literally apply to every single day of life or you could literally apply to, yeah, that will help you on this run right. or in this, this situation. And yeah. so it's very functional stuff. And so it was, I just got into it and that's how much it scared me. And so, and that oh. gave me the goal and that gave me the drive to want to do it. And I felt energized by it. And, yeah. and that was the thing is I needed that goal, which Funnily enough, I found in this sport which I'd hated my whole life, yeah. which is running. Yeah, it's that, that's what's weird, mate. Because the the principles that you're talking about that motivate you having a goal, having a challenge, having something big, obviously are huge in ultra running. But I think you lie a bit now because you probably do actually like it a bit. Mm. But you know, at I the do. start, I mate, you, I know you hated yeah. it. Yeah, so it's like. We're feeding this guy things that he likes through a sport through that he just doesn't like. It's mm. quite it's quite an interesting situation, isn't it? And I, I guess that's why people grow to to start liking or loving ultra because all the plus points far outweigh some of the the fact that you have to run. I guess yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. And and you know the so if we come back to uh, MDS. The the thing which I took away from it the most is I, I thought, okay, an adventure, this is going to be the key. I thought, and I signed up for various different reasons. Um, but what I took away from it was completely unexpected. And so what I mean by that is it was the, the weeks after and the months after that I was learning more about myself that became the unexpected, um, I, I suppose, consequences of running that that event yeah. so what i mean by that is i thought it was going to be an amazing thing to cross the line and get a medal i thought yeah. that was it i thought you thought that was the i thought that was the key yeah. but the reason well, well the reason i've done more since then has been you learn a lot about yourself yeah and you don't learn much on the finish line you don't no <laughs> no, no, no finish line you're happy and yeah. Yeah. you know and when you go through a race there's so many different emotions you put you you, you put yourself through yeah. And, you know, and it, but it's, it's the, the learnings, I think, after the fact for me yeah. that has really sort of, I don't know, just captivated me or, yeah. or kept me inspired. It's like I, sw I swore I would never do something like, you know, when you yeah. finish a race yeah, or something yeah, that yeah. hurts, yeah. you kind of go, oh, yeah, I'll never do that again. Yeah. A few weeks later, maybe yeah. a month later, that, that, that thought sort of Well, this is kind of what happened because you finished that in December and then, I said, have you had any thought? And no, maybe just give Dubai Marathon a hit. And mm. you did that and you did a great time. And mm. then it was like, well, now what, mate? And no, no, I'm not sure. And then, but then I think the mind just 
starts going, doesn't yeah, it? It's yeah. like it, it, it's sort of a snowball effect. And yeah. so, like I say, you know, I, I learned a lot about myself, uh, particularly. There was one day in particular, and there was almost one moment in MDS I can sort of take it down to. Yeah. And it was there was there was on day four, which is the long day in MDS. People know it. Um, I. I, I anyway. I, long story short, I hit the wall. Um, very dehydrated. You know, yeah. body was shutting down in various different ways, um, and I was in a really dark place. Really, really dark place. I was lucky. I had Tom who was with me, and yeah. he was kind of helping drag me through it. But there was there was two or three things in my mind which were my whys yeah. of why I was going into MDS, and yeah. and I kept my mind just kept circling back to remember. Remember uh, your why. Remember uh, your why. And there was, you know, and, and you know, my partner now, Bronte, yeah. she was on my mind. And, yeah. and you know, I, I, and there was, and my family is on my mind. And things like this just kept coming back to me. And it just reinforced the reasons what I was doing. Yeah. And, and ultimately, it got me through it. I mean. Did you wish in that situation, mate, that you weren't there? Not at all. Not, not for one second. Yeah. You know, there wasn't one second that I did not want to be there. It hurt and yeah. you know you're in trouble and stuff starts going wrong. But there wasn't one second I didn't say, I'm not going to not finish this. Yeah. But you've got to dig and look for those reasons. You've got yeah. to look for those those reasons why you're you're there. And and for for me, you know, there was, I mean, it's, yeah. it's all completely personal. It's incredible. But um, that's what drove me. And then subsequently... Later on, after that, as, as I went into Dubai Marathon, I had no idea what a marathon was. Okay, let's go run this. <laughs> and, and then what I'd, what I'd done after that is over Christmas, I didn't have a, uh, a goal. So I was like, okay, let's do Dubai Marathon. It's in January. Yeah. And then I'd also signed up to the Hajar 100. Uh, yeah, right. Um, and I signed up to it before the marathon. I was glad I did that because I, I swore after the marathon I'd never Which, run again. Yeah, that – yeah, that – that's a it's a wild race just to interesting yeah. just to yeah i mean and and folks like i i don't know it's difficult sometimes to explain to people you know people think yeah marathon is hard okay yeah marathon's hard but like a, the hajj 100 is like something it's, it's just so different like every trail race you said it every ultra race is different but it, i think it's difficult for people to actually understand the difficult the difficulty mm. of something like the Hajar 100. Yeah, so like you know, Marathon Nassau is very different. You're you're the the landscape is very different. And and when you and I you were training me, when we were leading up to that, we did very specific things yeah. to get the body used to it. running in the sand. You know, do, doing different exercises. Yeah. And then leading, you know, over Christmas, I kept running. I did did the marathon great and whatever. And then the Hajar 100 was the first time. I had no idea what I was doing yeah. when I went into it. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. You know, I, I knew I'd have to take some water, and I knew I took my uh, Camelback or my my, my uh, some some you know nutri- uh, some nutrition, and yeah. every, I knew I kind of had to do that. But I had no idea, and and I went into it. And over the first fifty k's of that course, yeah. it's you know there's a lot of climbing involved, yeah. and the the terrain is very different to to a running in the desert yeah and it just destroyed me and it and and i got to a point in that race as well and i kind of just went this what what why and i think it took me like four hours to go eight kilometers at one point yeah and it was just because the vert was so high and there was no water and i didn't prepare for it and then but i kept going through that and i made it to the end and it was again you you know, it was so different and I learned so much about myself yeah. just from that one. Yeah. And a- again, 
you know, like MDS and, and like the Hajar and even the marathon to an extent, you choose to put yourself in that situation yeah, right. and you choose to, to say, you know what, I'm going to go and do this. Yeah. Um, I think I'm quite stubborn. And so, right. you know, when, I think that's a, in these situations, a massive positive though, yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think as a person, I'm quite stubborn. If I want to go and do something, I'll try and do it. And, yeah. and, and I was, you know, I, even in the Hajar, I'd got to the 50 and I'd already said to myself in my mind, probably is, I was probably at 38 Ks. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And it's amazing where the mind takes you. Yeah, right. My mind was telling me, you know what? Just roll your ankle on this rock or pretend to roll your ankle on this rock. Wow. And there's an exit strategy right there. And just, you know, and then, you, you know, just at the next checkpoint, you're out. Yeah, and then done. you get to the next checkpoint and then, you know, the stubbornness kicks in. Or yeah. the, you're like, you know what? I'm not, well, I'm not dead. I, I, you know, I may as well go down to the 50. Right. I may as well get down to that, that checkpoint at the halfway. And then, yeah. then I'm out. And I'd convinced myself I was out. I was done. I was really? cooked. I was done. I was out. And then I got down there and you kind of start eating a little bit and you have your own, you have a drop bag and yeah. you know, you're getting some other sort of food in you. And then it's like, well, well, maybe I can go to the next checkpoint and we'll just see from there. <laughs> and so, but that's the thing. I had no idea what I was getting into and yeah. I had no idea that this was going to happen to me. But wow. it was, it was, but I, I remember clearly I was done. And, and my mind was telling me, right, you can roll your ankle here and just be out. You can tap out. Yeah. There's no need to keep going. Yeah. And, and it's what the body what do you, does Why do you, you keep going then? How do you keep going? Because yeah, right? people, I mean, people are listening and going, yeah, I get you. And then you stop. But you didn't. Again, I think it comes down to pride and, yeah. your, and your why. Yeah. And it and doesn't matter what race in the world you sign up to, whether it's a 4K, a 10K, a 50K, doesn't matter if you cycle, doesn't matter if you're a triathlete, a rugby player, I, I don't know, but you've got to have a, a reason why you're, you're choosing to put yourself in that, in that situation. Position, yeah. Because at the end, you choose to put yourself there. Yeah, it's no, a choice. You could be anywhere. You could be nobody, at the bar. No, exactly. Yeah. No, nobody nobody um, puts you up to it. Yeah. And so, and I, I kind of looked inside and went, well, I've decided to do this maybe it's my stubbornness, maybe whatever it's like, or yeah. pride, maybe it's pride and ego. I don't know, but yeah. it's like, I, I, I don't want, it's in my control. I did a body check. You know what? My ankles are fine. Everything hurts a little bit, but okay, no problem. I'm not going to die if I keep moving forward. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let's, let's keep, let's keep going. Well, let's just go to the next checkpoint and then yeah. go from there. And, and kind of that's how I took it step by step. Incredible. And, and that's kind of where I learned from the Haja, where I was like, okay, and then we did a few other things during the year as well, yeah. and and I just kept building on that learning yeah. each time. Yeah, and just picking up the tricks, mate. You yeah. picked up a fair amount of tricks, and this is what's actually, for me, really the, mi the most mind-blowing about the whole thing is that at the end of 2018, so literally a year after you'd done your first ultra same race weekend. on the same weekend... Mm. You entered a race that I think on the outset, a lot of people took a little bit lightly. The Oman by UTMB is a 137-kilometer non-stop single-stage race, 7,000 meters. 7,800, supposedly. Right, so yeah. 8,000 meters of elevation, mate. 
it's since been dubbed, as we spoke about, folks, if you really want to dig in, we're going to just finish up the last 10 minutes on this. But if you want to hear all about the race, please go back to show 484. We spoke for about an hour with, with, with Tom and Rob about it. But, mate, you're towing the start line. You're, you're, you're sort of three ultras or, well, three yeah. ultras into your career. Yeah. And you're on the start line of one of the hardest races that has been, really. I mean, there's Barkley. It's been compared with mm. Barkley. It was brutal. Why were you on that start line? You know, again, it was, it's almost the sense of adventure. That was one reason. But also, um, you know, it's, the, again, the thing for me that I've learned over the year and a bit is the addictiveness of learning about yourself. So that's very yeah. addictive. Yeah. And going back to MDS quickly, I learned more about myself in that seven days than I'd learned in the p- previous 40 years. Wow. Right? And, and I genuinely mean that. And yeah. then over this year of doing Hajo 100, we did the 50-50-50. Yeah, Corsica. We went 50, to Corsica, 50, yeah. which was uh, almost 200 Ks across yeah. Corsica. You know, and, and then this one, it was, it, it's learning about yourself and what you're capable of, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I completely agree with you that I think everyone who saw UTMB, Oman, um, you saw the course profile, you're thinking, ah, you know, it's seven and a half, eight to 8,000 meters, uh, uh, vertical 137, you know, it's not, you know, it's not that bad, but the terrain when we got out there was, I'm glad to hear that, you know, even the professionals after uh, Oman sort of said it was the hardest thing they've ever done because it was tough. Like when you're there in the, in the moment, in the situation, like, okay, this is, this is pretty brutal. This is, yeah, okay. But you, you hear about these other races in the world like Barclays Marathon. You think, oh, my God, these are the hardest things ever. And But when you heard the pros say afterwards that that, that was pretty tough, you're like, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> it, it almost sounds, it's strange, but 137Ks almost doesn't do it justice. It felt yeah. oh, like mate. it was 250. Well, you mate, know? it was, I mean, it, it's the longest single stage race you've ever done. Yep. It was a 7.30 p.m. start. It was, there was checkpoints along the way, but you carried pretty much all your own gear until you got to 80, 80K where yeah. you got a drop bag. But you were out there for 36 hours, mate. Yeah. Like, it's a really long time to be, to be doing running, yeah. I mean, I know there wasn't a whole heap of running and, you know, again, go and, go and listen to, to, Sean, uh, to Tom and Rob's show. They talk all about how much running it was. But at the same time, mate, it's like you've been awake the whole day. It's now 7.30 p.m. and you're going and doing something physical for 36 hours. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I woke up, you try to sleep in late that morning of the race, but I think I woke up around 9 a.m. And right. even though you want to sleep late, you can't. You, you try and can't. You can't. You try and get to sleep in the afternoon, you can't. And so then you start buzzing, the nervous energy starts. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the race itself, I did, I think Rob and I crossed the line together and it was about 36 hours and one minute or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, I leading up to it because no one had ever done the course before i i had kind of thought somewhere around 30 hours maybe yeah 30 32 28 something like that yeah and you know when we got into the terrain it was it was something like you've never seen and and running through the night is an amazing thing because you can't really see that far in front of you yeah and so that's a good thing i suppose in this terrain but when the day came Oh wow! Like you see the terrain that you're up against, and how far till the next checkpoint, and yeah, 
that I think that's a really good point, especially in the mountains, like in Oman and and even like I remember when we did the last section of Corsica in the dark and and places that I've run in the dark, like you just can't really see it, so you don't really know. Which for some people that'll play tricks on their mind, but when it's daylight and when it was daylight in Oman and you can see those canyons and you know you've got to be on the other side. And then, like, there was, there was a one where we saw you at Alila Hotel, mm. and, like, we saw you a few K before there, and we're like, oh, it's only a few K to the hotel. It was the worst thing we could have said to you. But, yeah, you know, horrible. and you guys can see the hotel, and you've just got to have gone all the way around that sort of canyon. So even before that, before we saw you guys, so as the dawn was coming up, the sun was just rising, you come across... Uh, part of the course and then there was a huge valley in between where we had to go and the hotel yeah and i i checked my watch and it was around about 22 uh sorry 62 k's i'm thinking okay there's 20 k's to go but i could see the hotel yeah across the valley yeah. i could see it maybe one kilometer away wow and and i'm i'm computing in my mind maybe they've got it wrong maybe yeah. maybe yeah. maybe it's not 20 k's wow. and, but then we had to go down a valley up a valley around a valley down a valley around about through a valley it was uh, they circled you around this and and that was the sort of worst part is it was mind games so you knew where you had to go you yeah. knew the hotel was there yeah. but you had another 20k of this and you're just, just looking at your watch just yeah, going this is just unbelievable and, and the, it's ticking off at like 1k every 20 minutes uh, it's unbelievable because you'd go down then you'd you'd climb vertically almost up yeah. these, these rock faces and and it was just going slow and the day was getting hotter and hotter yeah right and you're at altitude and so you know things like that just started and that's probably why oman was very brutal because they played mind games with you do you think they did it on purpose mate or do you think that was just? I think that it was. was I think. Their, I think. I don't, I don't know. know. I think both. I think that they needed to get the kilometers in, and so they right. kind of ran it round that. But then also, un- unless you've actually run a race like this, yeah. would you plan it like that? I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, because I, I remember at one stage where we were up near that road because we'd walked up the the valley in the morning, and we're up near that road, and the course was just. It was almost just sick because it was completely flat, but it just made you go this extra bit of like, it was only 20 meters and then go almost back on yourself and then drop into this valley. And we were stood there and we're just having a bit of fun and taking some pictures and whatever. And I'm like, guys, look at this course. And I don't know the answer. I mean, I I don't know if the race, if if, if, I know Ian Corliss had on uh, the American, um, Sharp, yep. Jason Sharp, that won Sharp. it, yep. and apparently his it's either his girlfriend or his wife is the American chick as well. That yeah, the partner. She she got third, I think. She right? got third, yeah. yeah. And they were they were kind of talking about it whether that is the thing, whether they kind of just make it like that a little bit harder. I know, like obviously we've spoken a little bit about Barkley marathons and Barkley marathons. Lars is trying to make stuff like yeah. it's trying to be a mind game, but it's not really what we've known as the DNA of UTMB, yeah. but we saw it in Oman, that's for sure. Yeah. It was definitely around that, that 82K mark or around the, the, the hotel where, yeah. the, the, let's say, the halfway point. Yeah. It was a mind game, yeah. particularly at that point. And, and you'd already gone through the night, so you're kind of, you know, you're getting fatigued and you're thinking, okay, let's just get to this halfway point, get some food in, yeah. and then try and keep going. And, and that, was, that was all the mindset. Like, yeah. you know, 
there was, you know, there's so many things that come across you in, in a race like that. And, and one of the things is I've always run with poles, right? Yeah. And, you know, the first 13 Ks or so was, you know, pretty flat and super yeah, easy part of the race, right? Basically. Yeah. And then they would get to a point where you're going up a wadi and then you start your first climb. And I pulled my poles out at that time and one of them broke. Like wow. straight away. Wow. And the only thing I've ever done with ultras is always run with poles. And, yeah. and there wasn't one second, maybe a millisecond where I said to myself, okay, let's move on. Yeah. Like just deal with it. Yeah. And I think if I hadn't learned lessons earlier in the earlier, year, yeah. I would have kind of just gone, oh God, this is going to play with me. This is going to play in my head. This yeah. is going to hurt me. And, and literally I just, I don't know why, but it, I just kind of went, all right, move on. You but just it's get... the ability, mate, to control the controllables, right? Yeah. That you start to learn, I guess. But it was also about letting go of expectations. So, like, yeah. I, I, I always run with poles, and, and, and it's a big thing if, if you do these sort of races, whether you use poles or not poles or whatever, yeah. and, and I always have. But it was just at a point where I just kind of – it's like I had to reset myself at, yeah. at 13K and go – all right, you're going no the balls. next. You're going the next 120k or so without them, yeah. and it's like just get on with it. Unbelievable, mate! You went more than more than 112. Yeah, if it was more than 120k from from that point, and that took you into the race started at 7:30 p.m. It took you into a second night, mm. skipping one night of sleep. Most people can get away with it, but then running the whole day the next day brutally hot sun then the temperature dropped at the night talk us through the second night yeah, on that, that trail that got that got interesting and and i and, <laughs> you know obviously you were there at the halfway with a few of the other guys and the support crew the sport crew was amazing and and you know i, I think you said it to us then or I, I don't remember when maybe it was just before as night was there we saw you but there was yeah. a point where you guys you'd said to rob and i and it's through your own experience is that you guys will hallucinate tonight. <laughs> You've been running for 24 hours. Uh, We've been awake for, I don't know, like 34, 35 hours at the time. Yeah. Um, you're you're going to start to hallucinate. It, it's amazing that you don't actually, so you're sore, yes. The body is fatigued, yes. But you don't really feel tired. You don't feel sleepy. Right. You know, there's a lot of, I suppose, adrenaline, yeah. cortisol going through your body, yeah. which keeps you active and awake. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, as you push on further and further, you get more and more fatigued. And, and, and that's the case and was in the case in this race. And there was a, a 11, I remember there was about 11K downhill section on a road. Yes. Which was, you know, you're running in almost talcum powder type yeah. dust and yeah. sand. And that was almost the worst part because yeah. you're running downhill for 11Ks, first of all. And if anyone yeah. knows downhill, that's what hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And then this dust you're, you're running and just kicking up into your lungs yeah. and you couldn't quite breathe properly. This is getting into your head. Um, but, but later in the night, you sort of got to you know, a point where you know, hallucinations started. But mm. you don't really realize that they're hallucinations until kind of afterwards Yeah, because you're completely lucid. Like yeah. you know where you are. You yeah. know what you're doing. Um, you know exactly what's happening, but then you're seeing things. It's, yeah. it's wild. Like it's, I remember Rob and I had sort of, um, you know, we were, the first night we were playing uh, Leapfrog and we we're all running yeah. our own race and yeah. then we ended up sticking together and we were pushing each other, which was fantastic. And I remember at one point I was in front of him on the trail and I turned around and said, oh, Rob, you know, we, we were kind of expecting another checkpoint. I said, hey, Rob, Rob, checkpoint's just here. And I saw the checkpoint. 
I saw it. I saw the little tent. I saw the light. I saw the table with the food on it. I saw the water. I saw the people standing around in the tent, and, that, and that's what the checkpoints kind of were. Yeah. And I saw it just around the corner on the trail. And as I turned to say this to him, I looked back, and it was gone. And I was kind of like, <laughs> uh, okay. And I can swear I can still describe it to you today. And, and there was other things you saw, and it was, you know, there was one point where I was looking down at my feet, um, but uh, <laughs> <a piss>. yeah, <laughs> urinating, uh, and and the rocks were melting away from me. Like oh, no. I, I saw them melt away from me, and I kind of stood back from that. And I went, "Whoa!" Yeah, because it's steep. So if they it, go, it you die. Rip, it was off a. It was off a, yeah. a, a, a cliff. Yeah, and I was like, "What is going on here?" And, but I knew where I was, and I knew what I was doing. And so it's amazing what the body will tell you or do to you to yeah. say, "Hey." Stop this. This yeah. is silly. You're now actually starting to do stuff that we don't want to do. You should stop. How did you get through it, mate? You know, it, again, it was there wasn't one point in the race where I said to myself, I'm going to quit. So, for yeah. example, the Hajj 100, I said, you can just roll yeah, your ankle and get, get out of 50, this. Yeah, there there wasn't one part of that race yeah. where my mind said, I want out. And it's, I think it's because you learn. I've learned a lot about myself. And yeah. I've learned a lot about these sort of races. But that was my also my goal. Right. Um, and so, and, and of course it helps. I, I mean, Rob and I were together and we were pushing yeah. each other, yeah. encouraging each other. And I think from, from hearing from other accounts in that race, people who ended up getting through it and finishing, I mean, I think there was only 50 or 60 people who finished out of, yeah. I don't know, a, a couple of hundred. hundred. I think they had, I think, I think it was a little bit more, I think maybe more, 40%. Yeah. Completed it, yeah. 40% but mate, I mean, we were in the checkpoint and people just coming in, ripping yeah. their bibs off, and saying, you know, like, yeah. I'm out. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. Um, and, and and I think people who ended up finishing it ended up running as partners or yes. in, almost in teams. And even if you're competing against each other, I mean, Rob and I happen to know each other, but you know, and, and but I think you kind of almost needed that on that race. I mean, it yeah. was hectic. It yeah. was it was it was tough. Do you think the fact that that race, like, if you look at the second night, you were you were around when we last saw you, you were around 100k, just over 100k in. Just that was just before the white sort of powder. So you sort of had 30 something k to go, and worst case scenario, three k's an hour, which in some of that section you were you were slower. You were yeah. in, 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 in the brutal wall. You know, you, you were slower. Do you think the fact that you're like, right, if I get through this night, this job's done and I'm, I'm, I'm finished. So you, you start calculating. So you just, when you get to that far into the race, you start calculating to yourself saying, well, you know what? There's only 17K left. Um, you know, maybe that's going to take X amount of hours. Oh, we'll make it by 2 a.m. And then as you're going on, you're pushing on because things are getting harder and harder. And actually, yeah. the terrain towards the end was super tough. You had a, you had a, a almost a, a vertical K, or they say yeah. a, v, a VK. Yeah. You had it was actually 1.2 kilometers up within about three, three kilometers. kilometers in distance. Yeah, in, yeah, in linear distance. Yeah. And I mean that, that took us. I think that took Rob and I two and a half hours, two hours forty-five. Right. And. Yeah, it was sketchy. Yeah. Like if we'd done yeah. that, and we did that at about, I don't know, midnight, 2 a.m. If we had done that in the day, yeah. uh, that would have scared me because there yeah. were sketchy parts yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, but then as you went on, you know, there was, you, you got higher and it got colder and super windy and it was probably below zero, I think, with wind chill when yeah. we got to the top of that climb. Up, right? And yeah. so the, 
the temperature swings kind of start hitting you. And then you, you just start looking at your watch and trying to calculate how much longer have I got to go. Yeah. I've got 13 Ks or I've got 14 Ks, but actually how long is that going to yeah, take? Yeah, time-wise. time-wise. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges, isn't it, mate? And it, it plays a little bit on your mind because, you know, even when we go back to that initial run that you did, you ran at like six and a half minutes a K. It was 11 Ks along mm. the beach. Like... You're almost dreaming of six and a half oh, minutes a K that, that in, would these, been in these scenarios. I mean, I think guys who win these races average about that sort of speed, yeah. right? And, yeah. But, but it's because the terrain is so brutal. Yeah. And, and I, I don't even remember the data that I had from it, but it was super, you know, 36 hours, 137 K, yeah. you can do the you maths, do right? The maths on it, yeah. And, and, you know, even the last checkpoint, the last checkpoint said there was 2K or 3K to go, and that took almost an hour. Yeah, just coming down. And that down was that downhill. Yeah. And it was just, it was, yeah. And it's incredible, mate. Yeah. Well, mate, we've, we've rambled on for about an hour, and that's probably, that's probably almost enough. But, mate, just to acknowledge what you've done, in ultra running in the last year is it's phenomenal but it also shows that this sounds probably a bit harsh but a washed up 40 year old rugby player can do it anyone can really do it yeah. right and, and that's know. the thing like as long as you have a goal and you decide to change things yeah for me i don't i didn't have a catalyst in my life to yeah. say that happened to me i, I can change it because some people have that moment right yeah it was for me just kind of waking up and going, I have to change something. Got to get something. I got to get out of a rut that I'm in and, and you know, work was good and everything yeah. was good, but I just got to, I got to change something. Yeah. And, and that's where I'd started and, and the journey continues, you know, it's been, it's been a ride so far. It's incredible, mate. Not only are you into it, you've got your brother into it. So I get two <laughs> clients out of this, which is just fantastic. He's just signed up to his first ultra. <laughs> and exactly, mate. And he actually sent me a message the other day and he wants to do something a bit longer and with us and yeah. all these plans. And I reminded him that he's having his second child. But that's, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. Mate, really appreciate the time. And again, congratulations, mate. I, it's probably harsh to call you a washed up rugby player because you're now... <laughs> A very accomplished ultra runner, mate, and I think what you achieved a in, in in or in your first race in the MDS, and then that single stage UTMB man. Anyone who's thinking about getting into ultra, I would suggest perhaps a different entry route. <laughs> but oh, it's probably not traditionally. Yeah, it's not yeah. traditional, but you're not known for doing yeah. things traditionally, mate. You are all in. Congratulations, Hurls. We look forward to following your journey, and mate, in a year's time, we'll get you back on and see what else you've done. Let's see. There's uh, there's some big things coming in 2019. That's for sure. I'll tell you that. Awesome, much. mate. Great job. Cheers.